I invite you to find Galatians chapter 6 in your Bible. Galatians chapter 6. If you're just joining us today for the first time, uh, first time in a long time, we're not studying through the book of Galatians right now. We're just here for one week. We're just covering one verse today, actually, verse 2 of Galatians 6. It's a verse about something that's supposed to be going on here. It's a verse that tells us about something that should be happening in the church, wherever the people of Christ are gathered together along with the relaunch of community groups. Over the next couple Sundays, we're gonna take um, a couple weeks to be in the scriptures and consider a community-oriented theme. And today, um, we have picked up verse two of Galatians six to find one of those community-related themes in the scriptures. There are lots of them, aren't there? This is what y'all should be doing, the one another commandments, all those things. We're searching for some markers of what our lives are supposed to look like together according to the word. And here at verse 2 of Galatians 6, we find one thing in particular that should be happening among us. So let's find out what that thing is, why it's important, and how we get started doing it. Okay? Just one verse, let's stand in honor of God and his word for the reading of the word. Galatians 6.2. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And I'll read it one more time. Paul's instruction says this, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Heavenly Father, glorify Jesus through the preaching of your word. That's our request. And we pray that you would glorify Jesus through our obedience to what we find here. We ask in Jesus' holy name, amen. Please be seated. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. There's a phrase at the end of Paul's sentence that we recognize as powerful, as something that deserves our full attention. At the end of his sentence, we find this phrase, the law of Christ and so fulfill the law of Christ. At the root of all church conflict, whether it is large-scale conflict between large sections of a church or whether it is only conflict between you and one other person, at the root of all church conflict, no matter what it is, is a failure to recognize how much we owe each other. A failure to realize that we are under obligation to each other. 
The law of Christ doesn't mean that we have an obligation to him. It means that we have an obligation to each other. It's very easy and it's very common for people to walk into various churches and consume programs and classes and Bible studies and music sets and sermons and we come in as consumers and we just consume all these wonderful things that are happening in there. It's very easy to just come in and consume everything and never have any understanding or any realization at all that I might have some obligation to the people here Because our mindset, really the default, is to just be a a consumer and not a debtor. So here we are in chapter 6 of Galatians. And one chapter back, chapter 5, Paul's main point in chapter 5 is that this new and exciting and glorious freedom that we have in Christ whereby we are not obligated to have to keep the Mosaic law anymore in order to be justified before God, in order to be right with God. It's it's not necessary to keep the Mosaic law. That's his whole point in chapter five. We've been set free from that in Christ because Christ has fulfilled it on our behalf and now we're right with God by faith. So we're free in that way and that's wonderful. But Paul's main point in chapter 5 is that this wonderful new freedom we have does not mean we are free from obligation to each other. That's the point he's trying to drive home. Don't see yourself as so free that you no longer visualize yourself and realize that you're under this heavy obligation to the other people who are free with you in Christ. Okay, look back at verse 13 of chapter 5. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Paul's just been talking about that freedom. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So here he is. He's putting them under obligation. Through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then as chapter 6 begins... Paul is putting some meat on those bones and he's giving the church some specifics of what it looks like when we are serving each other out of love. He's giving some concrete examples. So he's laying this upon us. He's reining us in from an individualistic mindset and he's laying upon us this law of Christ. Therefore, the first thing that we want to say about the law of Christ is that it's something that we are under. The law of Christ is something that we are under. Something that needs to be fulfilled here among us. No, we're not under the law of Moses anymore. We are under the law of Christ. Did you know that that obligation rests upon you? When you think about your own involvement in whatever church you're part of, whether it's Prairie Hill or whatever church is your local church, does your paradigm for your participation there include any sense of obligation? 
to the people there. One question we might ask is, well, what happens if we don't do it? I mean, what's the worst that could happen? Like, we're all saved, right? None of us are going to lose our salvation if we don't do this, right? Still heirs with Christ, right? Still have the promise of Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, right? All, all those things are still there, Right? Yes, all those things are still there. Those promises never go away, never, ever, ever. So what's the worst that can happen if we don't take this obligation seriously? If we just say, yeah, no thanks, I'm just gonna be part of my church and I'm just gonna do my thing and everything's still gonna turn out okay. What, what could happen? What's the worst that could happen? Paul tells us the worst that could happen. It's in verse 15 of chapter 5. Verse 14, backing up a verse, verse 14, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, but if we say no thanks, if we don't take that seriously, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Where Christians do not recognize their obligation to each other to out of love serve one another, they are in danger of consuming one another. That word translated here consumed can also be translated destroyed. Watch out that you are not destroyed by one another. That's what can happen. That's the worst that can happen. It's possible for Christians in a church context to consume each other, it's possible for us to destroy one another. And I don't need to offer any examples or take any more time to try to convince you that that's true because we've all seen it. Even if we haven't been part of that, we have seen it happen. Churches in America today don't fold because outside influences have been hard on them. Churches in America today fold because the people there have consumed each other. They have destroyed each other through sniping and gossiping. through insensitivity and pride from lack of repentance and lack of forgiveness. We, this is a really good word for Paul to use, we feast on each other and then we discard each other. And just think, well, they'll go go find another church. 
And then we wonder why the next generation just quietly slips away. And finds another community to belong to. Of course they do. Who would want to be part of a community like that? Now, we're painting a really bleak picture, aren't we? But it's a real picture. It's a real danger. Paul would not have warned us about this unless it was a real danger. No, we can't lose our salvation if we're in Christ by faith, but we can destroy each other. We can send people running for cover and effectively bar the sanctuary from future generations. Well, I think we have a little better idea of how seriously we have to take his instruction at Galatians 6.2 and how important it is to understand that we're under the law of Christ. We are obligated to keep it, to fulfill it here so that we're not destroying each other. The law of Christ is something that we're under. Second thing we want to say about the law of Christ is that it is his command to love each other. The law of Christ is something that we're under. Secondly, the law of Christ is his command to love each other. So if we ask the question, just what is the law of Christ? What does that mean? I think the balance of evidence shows that what Paul means here is the law which comes from Christ, which has come from Christ, or the law of which Christ gave, namely the commandment to love one another. You remember in the upper room, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, so you also are to love one another. And if we need more supporting evidence, if just to try to help us understand, is that really what Paul means here by the law of Christ, the law which comes from Christ? We could just simply go back to chapter 5 again. We read those verses, um, 13 and 14, where Paul has already been writing about love for one another. It's been a consistent theme here. Serve one another through love. Love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, so the law of Christ is the law to love each other. Now, that's not new information for anybody here, is it? It's not new information. This is old information. Love one another. We just haven't always been good stewards of this information. What we like to do is chide the world for not having a very deep understanding of what love means. We like to say, yeah, the world really doesn't understand love. And that's true. They don't. But we have to ask ourselves, are we doing any better? Our view of love can be very superficial also. Our view of love in the church. I think our our MO is really just, well... If I'm getting, getting along pretty well with people at church and there's no overt conflict or obvious things that are going wrong and if I'm smiling at people and getting along pretty well with people, then I'm loving them, right? Just a general feeling of goodwill. Yes, loving my brothers and sisters. But is that really all it is? 
Is there something more? Have, have we missed something here regarding love? Is, is love really happening? Here in the church, we talked about the upper room a moment ago, so let's, let's cast our minds back to the upper room once again. One of the, the other things that happens in the upper room is that Jesus sets the idea of love in the context of friendship. Do you remember where he connects those two ideas, the idea of love and the idea of friendship? Greater love has no one than this. So he's talking about love and what real deep love looks like. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. There it is. Love is acted out in the context of friendship. It's something that happens between friends, something very sacrificial and very others-centered. And of course, what Jesus accomplishes at the cross is the standard. That's where perfect love was displayed between friends. Remember, he begins to call his disciples his friends in the upper room. So Jesus sets the idea of love in the context of friendship. So here's the conclusion of all these things. The call to fulfill the law of Christ to each other is the call to realize the deepest level of friendship. The call to fulfill the law of Christ to each other is the call to to realize the deepest level of friendship with each other. We're going to talk about what that looks like in just a minute. We're going to talk about what it looks like to have love play out between friends. But first, I just want to take a moment and collectively, all together, long for friendship. I have noticed a common refrain from some friends that I have talked with recently. Some, some of them live around here. Some of them live far away. But I've talked with four different friends in the last three weeks, and they've all said a version of the, of the exact same feeling. And here's the feeling. Friendship is really hard right now. I can't figure out what friendship looks like. These are really well-adjusted people, okay? I want you to know these are not reclusive people that haven't had a lot of friends throughout life. These are really well-adjusted people that you would probably see and say, yeah, I'd really like to be friends with them. People that have had friends, they're the ones that I'm hearing saying, I can't figure out friendship right now. How do I get a friend? How do I be a friend? And I'm just guessing if just a handful of people that I've talked to feel that way, that there are people here that have the same thing on their heart, that 
wouldn't it be nice to have a friend? And I, I think what we've been through in the past year and a half has really highlighted that for many of us. It's something that we all long for. It's the longing to be known and not rejected. It's the longing to be able to admit our weaknesses and our struggles to another person and instead of being talked about, we're invited to come closer. It's the longing to not have to hide and to be able to be ourselves in all of our imperfections without fear. It's the longing, really, to have someone be as Christ to you, to be able to take them all, all of that you are and all of your messiness and not have them reject you but bring you closer and bear your burden along with you. The Apostle Paul is laboring to instill this mindset in the church. He's working so hard to help the people of the church understand how they're to think and how they're to be toward each other. You remember that at the end of chapter 5 is where he lists the fruit of the Spirit. Those things that are present in your life when the Holy Spirit is going about the work of sanctification. And this is, the, this is the fruit. This is what we see in a Christian. When, when the Holy Spirit is present in someone, here's the result. This is the fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, all of, all of these things. It's what he does at the end of five. And then he turns a corner and he tries to help us understand as we get into chapter six, when a person has these qualities, these spirit-given qualities, the result is not conceit and pride like look at me look how spiritual I am the result is not that a person gets higher it's that they get lower and that they stoop to help those who need help one example is gentleness so he lists gentleness in the the fruit of the spirit list one of those listed is gentleness and then Look how that quality of gentleness is to play itself out. Chapter 6, verse 1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. That's what it looks like in practice. The fruit of the Spirit helps us get lower, not higher. The fruit of the Spirit helps us to be a friend and to fulfill the beautiful law of Christ to each other. And community groups are nothing more than nurseries where friendships can grow. They're places where trust can be built over time and over meals and over shared experiences. That's how trust is built because we have shared time and shared meals and shared experiences. There's nothing magical about community groups. There's a shared time and food and experience centered around Jesus where the law of Christ can be fulfilled. And it's beautiful. But it's not easy. It requires investment. 
Molly and I were very close to leaving the first community group that we were ever part of. We'd been going for a few months. It was, it was just really hard to make connections because we were the new people. Everyone else had known each other for a long time. And we'd gone probably six or seven times and I still remember where we were when we were having the conversation in our living room. I was folding laundry and we're just like, should we just quit going? Like, this is really hard. We're just, we're not getting to know anybody. Um, They've had all these shared, you know that feeling? They've had all these shared experiences. We don't know what they're talking about. It just doesn't feel right yet. And we, we were at the, the, point of departure, the fork in the road, and we decided, let's try it a little bit longer. And those people have become probably the closest friends that we've ever had. And many of those relationships have been maintained over the course of several moves, and we almost gave up. And I'm so thankful that we didn't. Most good things are hard. And friendship is good. And friendship is hard. And pursue it anyway. It's where we fulfill the law of Christ. The law of Christ, it's something we're under. It is the law to love each other, okay? That's our foundation. Now back to the first part of the sentence, how we actually fulfill it. Paul tells us to fulfill it in a certain way, right? What does he have in mind? When he's talking about fulfilling this obligation to each other, what, what does he mean when he writes, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ? What he means is fulfill the law of Christ in this way. Bear each other's burdens and so fulfill. Well, he means more than pray for each other. That's part of it, but he means more than simply pray for each other. He means more than let your church know when you're having a surgery so they can pray for you. You do want to let your church and your friends know when you're having a surgery so they can pray for you. And we get that instruction in other parts of the scripture, so that's good. But that's just not the totality of what he means here. When he writes, bear one another's burdens. We didn't take time to read all of the surrounding contexts to really dig into everything that surrounds it here, but it's very likely that the burdens that he has in mind here when he writes burdens, what is he talking about? It's very likely that he means our deep, deep struggles with sin. He's probably talking about the desires of the flesh and the works of the flesh that he mentions by name in verses 19 through 21 of chapter 5. And then in verse 1 of chapter 6, he's writing, if anyone's caught in any transgression, that's a sin issue, right? A transgression. If anyone's caught in any sin, any transgression... So he's still talking about sin. He's still talking about sin at the end of verse 1. Keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. He's probably still talking about sin here in verse 2. Bear one another's profound struggles against the flesh. 
our struggles against the flesh are profound, aren't they? I think burden is a good way to describe them. So if by burdens Paul means our deep struggles against sin, what does it look like to carry them for each other? How does that work, bearing the burdens of your friend in order to fulfill the law of Christ? We're going to name some specific things that that looks like, but before we do that, before we rush off and ask other people to share their deep sin struggle with us, before we ask people to to do that and enter into that kind of relationship, before you present yourself as a candidate to be trusted with that kind of ministry, please ask yourself these two questions. First of all, am I a spiritual and trustworthy person? Am I a spiritual and trustworthy person? Spiritual, according to Paul's description here. Having the fruit of the Spirit. That's what it means to be spiritual. It's not kind of some out there idea. A spiritual person is one who exhibits the fruit of the Spirit. So read through that list, Galatians 5, 22 and forward, and ask yourself, is this me? Because there is a a tacit admission here that not everyone in the church is spiritual. Paul writes, uh, chapter 6, verse 1, if anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him. What's the implication? Not all there are spiritual. Not everyone in the church is manifesting all of this fruit of the Spirit yet. And we're not ready to bear the burdens of others if we have not first been formed by the Holy Spirit. If we try to do that, there's potential for great damage. Great damage to the other person who's sharing with us. If we are not yet Disciplined and kind and patient and gentle, we can do damage to that other person. We can also do damage to ourselves. If we're not self-controlled, we're in danger of this thing Paul warns us about at the end of verse one, keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. And meaning you too be tempted to fall into the same sin. So there's danger in both directions. We have to ask, am I a spiritual and trustworthy person? That is, am I ready to bear burdens? Second question is this, am I investing in relationships where trust and sharing can develop? Am I a spiritual and trustworthy person? Secondly, am I investing in relationships where trust and sharing can develop? Because you know that sharing like this doesn't happen overnight. It's the result of time spent together. 
Are you investing in relationships? You can get started this fall. The, the church is providing an on-ramp for you to get started and start making that investment of time with other people. There are the two prerequisite questions. Am I a spiritual and trustworthy person that is able to bear a burden? And secondly, am I available to bear a burden? Because I'm investing in relationship. So two questions to ask yourself as a kind of prerequisite for this ministry to each other. Now, very briefly here at the end, let's just take a moment to understand what it looks like practically to walk alongside and bear, bear someone else's burden in the church, okay? I'm going to give you four words. This is going to be really brief. I'm going to give you four words, and then I'll say something about each of these words as we try to picture in our minds what it looks like to bear a burden for someone else. Here are the four words. Being, hearing, Staying and pointing. Being, hearing, staying, and pointing. Being. This just means simply being together. the ministry of presence. It's the prerequisite for bearing burdens. You make time for another person. It's a really honoring thing to do for another person, isn't it? To make time for them. Simply being. It's the kind of thing we do for our friends. Hearing. Remember, we're thinking about bearing someone's burden with them, okay? Hearing. When someone is sharing a deep struggle with you, be quiet. Resist the temptation to counter their story with one of your own. That feels bad, doesn't it? When you share something deep with someone and the first words out of their mouth is, well, here's what I experienced. Twelve years ago, the same thing happened to me, and then you go down that path. No, be quiet. Resist the urge to counter their story with one of your own. Instead of listening with the goal of thinking about how you're going to respond, because that's, that's easy to do when someone's sharing a, a great burden, especially a burden of a, a sin they're struggling with, the temptation is to always be thinking about how am I going to respond to this in a way that's going to be helpful, Okay. There's probably a time for that, but instead of listening with that going through your mind, listen with the goal of helping them see that they're being heard. Make that your goal. How can I show this person that I'm really hearing them? That involves body language, nodding, eye contact, occasional words of support, in appropriate compassion. And just understand that it is a real ministry just to give someone the opportunity to be heard by another human being. That's a huge ministry. It's a huge blessing to give to someone the opportunity to be heard by another human being. 
give them space and give them time and be comfortable with long periods of silence where no one really knows what to say. Just get comfortable with that. And don't assume that you know what they're dealing with. Listen to hear what they're dealing with. Being and hearing. Third, staying. This just means that you're committed to the relationship and you're committed to continue to seek their presence and invite them to be together because you know the greatest fear that we have when we share something significant with someone is that we're gonna be rejected because of what we've just shared, that they're not gonna wanna be with us anymore. That's what keeps us from sharing those things because we're afraid that if we share it, they're gonna be repulsed and won't understand and we're gonna be left and abandoned and we don't want that to happen so we don't share. That's why it's so important to practice this ministry of staying and maintaining the relationship. And what does that look like? Well, we have to get creative. We have to find creative and meaningful ways to let your friend know that you're still with them. An invitation, a text, an occasional phone call, a card, a Coke, coffee, whatever. When I used to run as part of a team, on those rare occasions when I was not all the way in the back, sometimes there'd be a person yet behind me. And I wouldn't know who it was. All I could hear was the sound of their feet on the pavement and their breathing. Sometimes the breathing was really close. And the way that I knew they were still with me is because I could hear them breathing behind me. Let your friend hear your breathing. That's a metaphor. (laughs) Find ways to let them know that you're still there. That you're still running beside them and that you're for them and that you haven't left them, that you're staying in pace with them. Maybe they can't see you, but they still know that you're there. The last one is, the last idea is pointing. And by this, we simply mean pointing them to Jesus. One of the hardest disciplines of friendship is to have no answers and no way to fix and only be able to point to Jesus. That feels hard because we want to fix and we want to have answers, sometimes all we have is pointing to Jesus. And that's, that is the thing that we all need. We need to hear from someone else. Jesus is Lord and Jesus is worthy. When someone is struggling with a sin, what they need more than anything else is a friend to be with them and not leaving and continually testifying to them in words and actions Jesus is still Lord, still requires our obedience. Jesus is Lord, and Jesus is worthy of our obedience. Point to him. Bring your friend to Jesus. And bring your friend before Jesus. Being, hearing, 
staying and pointing. Do you have a friend like that? Could you be a friend like that? Get ready. Because we all need you. And it is the obligation that we have to each other to fulfill the law of Christ. Brothers and sisters, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Amen. Father, these things are hard, but it's so good. By the power of the Holy Spirit, I pray that this place would be filled to overflowing with true friends that show true love for the true Savior. We pray in his holy name. Amen.